I'm Will Primos, and you're listening to the Fochi Creek Podcast. This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Fochi Creek Podcast. It's not as good as speaking language, but it's close. <laughs> this is Ben Rising with Whitetail Edge, and you're listening to Fochi Creek Podcast with Shed Joby. This is Austin Delano with Mossy Oak Biologic and Gamekeepers, and you're listening to Joe B and Shed Whitaker on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is co-host and uh, legend of the backwoods, the swamps, the uh, pig stabbing, Dustin Shed Whitaker. Dustin Shed, uh, good, good to see you this morning. Glad to be alive. <laughs> And our guest is none other than our good friend, the, uh, well, what, what's some superlatives we can even throw at Jordan? Just uh, a man of many talents, Mr. Mister Jordan Blissett. So Jordan, good to have you here where uh, you're getting ready to go look at a property, you said, and that's really kind of the purpose of our discussion today is just for you to talk about, uh, you know, what to do in buying a, buying a property. So tell us, uh, for those that wouldn't know Jordan Blissett, tell us uh, a little about all that you do and there's not... Too much you haven't done from a, from a hunting industry standpoint. So, give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing these days. Well, are you recording this? By the way, I didn't see nothing come up. Ah, uh, you know that's a heck of a question. I am recording it on my. <laughs> I am recording it on. For the audio for the podcast. I mean, that was perfect. Oh, and it was, do it again. oh, it was so good. I am recording oh. it on, but I'm not recording it on the video part. Ah, no, we're probably okay. We, we can we can still go with it. We can still go with it. This meeting is being recorded. Hey, now we're being recorded. It's always nice to have people that know what the heck they're doing <laughs> other than myself who doesn't know. <laughs> so, no, we're good. Jordan, tell us uh, who the heck you are and what all you've been doing these days. Even well, though... uh, I've done a little bit of everything in my life, I guess, but it's mostly been around the hunting industry. Uh, started... Well, I originally went to school to be an electrician and realized I didn't want to work that hard the rest of my life, so I quickly figured out another avenue and uh, started as a hunting guide at a place in Natchez, Mississippi called Giles Island. Uh, Worked my way around there and ended up pestering enough guys to be able to get my foot in the door at Mossy Oak and started running a camera there back in uh, 2012, I think, and ran camera there doing producing tv shows for four years and then pestered enough guys at primos where i finally got an opportunity <laughs> there and worked at primos from 2016 to this past february and now i have completely somewhat changed career paths i help people lose weight that's my full-time job now as a health coach and I also have my real estate license, but uh, my kind of niche in that is uh, more investment side slash taking a property and turning it into something for an investor. I've been dabbling in that for five or six years now and really enjoy it. It's not a not a full-time job, but uh, you know, one property may take you three years to really turn it around. So you can, it's not a, not a speedy process by any means. Now, is that kind of what you're getting ready to go do this afternoon is, is look at something for an, an investor? Is this more for you? And oh, is it a hunting property? Both. I'm both. I mean, we're just, I'm going to go look at the place. I really don't 
I don't have huge expectations for it, but it's uh, on the market or fitting to be on the market, and just want to go take a look at it, make sure. I'm probably not going to buy it, but make sure it's something. I'm not one of these things I let my assumptions get the better of me and don't go look at it, you know. Well, tell us. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm 55 years old, and I've been wanting to buy property for 40 years. <laughs> you know, since I was a teenager, probably, and let good opportunity get by me and thought that, well, I could never afford that, you know, it's, or I could never do that, and a lot of that's kind of misinformation, but I'm, I'm in currently now at 55 in the process of looking to really buy my first piece of hunting property, and so what's the first thing that a, a person needs to do? You know, when you when you go and look at listings and stuff online, of course, every hunting property shows that it's highly managed, uh, it's a turnkey operation, uh, they've got pictures of monster bucks on there. And so how do you know, how do you separate the good from the bad? What's What would be your advice to somebody looking to buy kind of like I am? What's the first Man. thing you need to start doing? Well, the first thing kind of to go over how land works, like it's very intimidating looking at it if you've never done it before. Because if you look at this big purchase here, it may be, you know, half a million dollars or a million dollars, whatever it may be. And you're like, there's no way on earth I could afford that. Well, if you break it down and have a good lender explain it to you, you know, the biggest hurdle to jump over when you're getting into a recreation tracks down paper, because a lot of times it's going to be at least 20%, sometimes less, but that's kind of a good reference, 20% of what, you know, what you're going to pay for, that's going to be your down payment, right? So that's the biggest hurdle. But after you make that, as long as you're, I mean, it's pretty much like taking on another house payment, I would guess. You know, it's not that crazy of money going into to be able to own a property. Like I said, as long as you're able to swallow the down payment, the rest of it is good. Because, uh, you know, there's a there's a lender down here in Mississippi called Southern Ag Credit. And there's, there's a lot of lenders around the country like this. Well, they have a really good program that if you... Uh, use them as a, your lender they have a, a dividends come back to you every single year and it's one percent of your loan and uh, so it's essentially like getting a one percent decrease on your interest rate so that's a big help over a year's time if you do have a pretty big loan with them so it's a uh, it's more obtainable than the average person thinks for us actually being able to purchase land but one thing that i look at is uh Knowing the area you're looking in for one helps. Kind of do your research, figure out is there good deer killed in this area in the general vicinity. Because if there's not, chances are the place, no matter how you treat it, it's only going to be as good as the surrounding areas. So that's one thing to dive off in. And you can do that nowadays through social media so easy. Like especially like Instagram, like you can search a certain area like a, a town or whatever you know see if there's any deer pictures pop up that people posted in that area another thing is forums like facebook forums you there's a lot of people that are not as i guess hidden as i am about where they kill stuff and you can dig into there and figure it out like where's a good area because a lot of people are proud especially like say here in mississippi uh madison county hines county like those are big deer areas and of course the delta but like madison and hines here in central mississippi like 
if you say I'm looking at a property in Madison, Mississippi, it already has credibility because people know there's there's big deer killed in that area. But the thing about that is that's just one certain area of Madison County. Now, if you move over on the northeast side of Madison County, no, your top end is going to be 120, 130 bucks. You know, so it's it's good to have that knowledge of an area. You don't have to have the actual knowledge on that particular place because if it's in a good area, chances are you're going to have some pretty good hunt. So that's the first thing I would do is get to know where you're looking at, kind of figure out some history. You can call uh, a lot of the state agencies to help you too. Like you can call a state agency and say, hey, what's the county that produces the biggest deer in the state every year? There's your a focal point to focus on. If that's what you're after, it's like a property to produce top-end whitetails. Another thing is access. This is probably the most overlooked thing because it may be the best property in the world, but if your access is not good, and I'm talking about like wind direction access, or you know you have to drive through a swamp to get there, you know who your access is everything. Road systems and uh, being able to navigate a property is probably the the most important thing when you're purchasing one for is being able to utilize that land so it benefits you. I'm just spitballing here some of the things I, I look at and that's what number one is going to be access for me because I'm a big believer in even running trail cameras and putting up deer stands and doing all the stuff most people don't think about. You still want to do it in a good way where the deer are low pressured because I've seen uh, seen you know, just human activity ruin a place. It may not be hunting activity, but just the human activity of being on a place three days a week or four days a week, or every time you go in there, the whole place smells you. You know, that can ruin a place very, very fast. Now, Jordan, let me go back and ask you on on the 20%, and that's that's kind of the standard, And but you're talking about, especially the way prices have gone for people's homes to, to land, everything going up, and to get any sizable acreage, I mean, you're probably 300,000 probably on the low end to 400,000, you know, half a million to get any decent sized property. So, you know, on, for example, 400,000, 20%, you're talking about $80,000 a person needs needs to have. Uh, if it's half a million, you're looking at $100,000 that a person would need to have minimum to pay down. Are there some creative ways for those people that other than just sticking money in the mason jar and putting it back, are there some other creative ways that people can come up with that 20%? Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways. I mean, a lot of people that are homeowners, they have a line of equity in their house if they've owned a house very long. So that's a really good way to pull out a, a home equity line of credit. It's usually super low interest, and uh, you can pull it out at any time and use that money for whatever you want to. Me personally, I bought a piece of land uh, two years ago, and that's exactly how I bought it. I pulled out a, a line of credit against my home equity, because, I mean, you know, that's a safe investment with your home equities. I mean, they're not going to lend you more than your house is ever going to sell for, right? So you're safe on that. Uh, also, you know, a lot of people will invest money into a Roth IRA or some kind of interest-bearing account, and, you know, those, those accounts will compound over 10 years, and you may be able to pull out an extra twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 out of that. Yes, you'll have to pay taxes on it, but it accrued interest over years. I mean, we're talking long term here. You know, if you have a dream of buying a piece of land 10 years from now, there's ways that you won't hurt your 
immediate finances as far as, you know, having to save an extra $2,000 a month. There's ways to create that, that down payment for you 10 years from now if you're just a little bit, uh, I guess, outside the box on how to get it. Do you see that that 20%, does that go up if you use like a traditional type of bank, uh, a bank institution? It re all that really just depends on, you know, your credit slash relationships with your bank. It just, it's, that's just kind of a standard if you're talking about buying land. That's 20% is kind of your standard. It may be 10%, maybe 15% just based on, you know, you. That I can't answer that question. Okay. And like the you mentioned, I think like a, uh, banks or financial institutions that primarily do like, you know, land loans and more of a land bank. Is that who you'd recommend to go through over just a traditional Absolutely. bank? Just, just because, I mean, they're professionals in their field, right? So uh, they can walk you through the whole process without it feeling intimidating or confusing because I'd use, you know, a conventional bank slash land bank. I've used it all. The one thing about actually using a land bank, they are in their lane and they are professionals in that lane. Okay. So they're very, very helpful. So would you, your first thing is get that 20% down. How are you going to do that? Is that what you would say? And then next thing is, then and I guess you again if you did a home equity loan you'd get that through a you know through a traditional bank but then next step if it wasn't your first step it didn't be get you a land bank to do the to do the overall loan once you find that property correct that's what my suggestion would be yeah okay. you know also I was going somewhere I had something happen on my on my head there but uh oh moving forward like towards like actually trying to find a piece of property once you have the money set up to be able to make a move, the worst thing you can do is get in a rush about it. Now, sometimes if you find a place that's worth rushing on, yeah, you better be moving and not be hesitant about it. But that's what you have to do is just make up your mind, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to pay for. Just don't, don't settle for something you know you're probably not going to be happy with. That was going to be one of my questions to you because I know hunting leases as well. That stuff doesn't last long and land's not lasting long either. And because of that, probably the worst thing a person can do is, you know, buy it sight unseen or rush to it without really looking at the, the property, which, you know, sometimes you can be. And again, reading those listings sometimes can make you think it's a lot better than it is. Would What do you suggest on finding that property? Do you look on your own on the different websites that are out there or... Should a person contact a real estate agent? I would, I would find an agent and let him work for you, but those, again, you got to vet them. You got to figure out who's working for you and who's working for himself, right? Yeah. That's the that's the main thing to do, but if you do find a, a real estate agent that is going to find you a piece of property, just uh, you can you can figure it out pretty fast if somebody's really trying to help you or they're just trying to get a sale just because they'll be sending you everything in their mama, even though it's not what you requested you wanted. You know, that's, that's one thing that I've seen. You know, there's there's a lot of agents out there that are truly in it to help their customer. Then there's, there's some out there that are not. So it's just the way it is in life at all. But vetting those people, figuring out what their intentions are, which they're an agent, they're, they're in it to make money, right? That's their living. So... You got to understand everybody's got to be happy. That's the, that's the main thing. With uh, if I was looking for a real estate agent, I would you know ask him a couple of questions. You know, just kind of vet them out a bit. 
one key word that they'll say this to you, and you can understand this is true, is their main goal is for everybody at the closing table to walk away happy. The real estate agent's happy, the buyer's happy, the seller's happy. That's a good agent if they have those intentions. Who pays the the real estate agent? Where do they get their commission? Is that are Usually you pay from the seller? Now okay. the buyer can. It goes both ways, but the majority of the time, the selling person will pay the agent. Is there a best time to buy as far as price and uh, is after hunting season oftentimes, is that a good time or, or is that? That's usually, that's usually when your most inventory is going to be out there because people will decide to sell their place after hunting season's over. Now down here in the south, you know, it's going into turkey season. People are like, I ain't selling my place till summertime. That's, that's a lot of times when some quality stuff will come up down here, like May, June, going into the fall. Shed, you got anything you want to add to that? You're, you're a landowner. Is there anything there that we, we're missing on kind of getting started? No, I, you know, I, you're kind of covered everything. Hardest part for a lot of folks because they, they, the banks, after that fiasco 15 years ago, they want so much money down. Definitely, it's not like it once was, but main thing is, like, there's ways to, if you truly want it, you can find a way to make enough money for a down payment. You know, you just got to get a little creative. And with prices the way they are, how, how do you find out what what a property is actually worth? Do you go over that worth, or is it eye the beholder, what the land around it uh, kind of equal would go for? Yeah, I like a less they're kind of reverting back to the land banks and actually having a, a real, especially a realtor that deals in recreation tracks like that's their livelihood, like that's their, their bread and butter. They'll be able to run comps for you, see what stuff sells in the area for, like the average sales that's comparable to the property you're looking at, and so can the lender. Um, I'm sure there's there's lenders like this in Missouri and the in the Midwest where you're from and uh, but down here like I keep reverting back to Southern Ag Credit but I can call up there tell one of those guys hey man I got a I got a buyer looking at a place in such and such county and such and such area and they can have me comps within an hour of stuff that has sold within the last six months of a year that is comparable to that property timber value all the things. So that'll give you a good estimate on what it's worth. Of course, they're going to have it appraised too, and that'll give you an even better estimate, you know, what's the appraisal on it. I always say this, if I've got somebody, if you can find a piece of property that's right around appraisal and it's a long-term investment, it's going to be worth more money in 10 years. It's just the way it is, especially land. Houses, up and down, up and down. But recreation tracks, it's just a far as the, the market of them is never varies and never falls and never rises a ton it's pretty much consistent they're steadily just creeping up now two years ago when uh the virus hit and everybody was trying to get out of the cities and buy them little mini farms yes you saw a dramatic increase on recreation tracks but that's kind of one of those deals they went up now they're holding there we're gonna hold here for just a second because I got somebody weed eating outside my outside my dang door right now. So I'm gonna keep me on mute just for a second. Can you hear it? Man, I yeah. thought once you got retired, you mowed your own grass. <laughs> What's up with Barry, that? 
I, I got you're to supposed I, to have like daily chores around the house. <laughs> tired now. My yeah. mower broke on me about three years ago, and I asked this buddy of mine, Mose. I said, "Hey, would you mow it this next one? It, it, it's only going to take me 15 minutes to fix the mower. You know, I just it, it wasn't going to take me long to get it back going, but I didn't have that 15 minutes at the time." So he mowed it, and uh, he goes, hey, did you get it fixed? I said, still ain't found in 15 minutes. And then finished that year with it. Next year, you got, are you, you got your mower going? I said, still looking for that 15 minutes. Do it again this year. It just got me easier and easier to to not get out there and do that. But, yeah, you'd think I'd be out there exercising and working I, myself to death, getting it mowed. I hate, I hate mowing grass. I don't hate it as bad as I used to, but when I built this house, I had somebody coming to mow it. Well, my father-in-law didn't like the guy that was mowing my yard, so he brought me his old junk mower. And every time I mow, it breaks down. I got to fix it. But he run my mowing guy off. <laughs> and then now that guy doesn't even have the mowing business anymore. He probably went broke because I wasn't paying him anymore. So yeah, I got it. Nice to have family helping out. Crash. Hey, Jordan, once you get kind of the money situated, you got your real estate agent as a hunter uh, and somebody that's, Shed to you know what you guys have done and knowing hunting like you do. What are you actually looking for as far as that property? What's going to dictate one property that you ultimately decide on being better than the others you look at? Is what are those specific things to find that ideal hunting property? It depends. I mean, I'm gonna stick in my lane because I know southern woods the best. If that's all right, I mean, I've hunted in the Midwest a good bit, but that ain't where I really cut my teeth on understanding deer. Uh, but down here, man, it's uh, when I look at a, if I'm looking at a hunting property, there's two different ways to look at it. You can look for one that's finished, ready to hunt, or you can look at one that's not, right? I like the not side because it gives you room for improvements. Uh, a lot of times, turnkey properties are already developed, you know, and you kind of have what you have. They may have been developed but they're not developed very well for as being able to actually hunt the place and being successful on it. I like places that have, like I said earlier, access, a pretty good road system, and I like diversity. Diversity is the number one thing that will make a place good year-round. You don't want a place that's just nothing but uh, oak bottom. You know, that's going to be good for a little while. It's not going to hold a lot of deer. You don't want a place that's just nothing but a pine ticket. Then again, it's only it's only going to hold deer. They're, they're going to eventually have to move somewhere else to find food because over a period of time, those pine trees are going to canopy in. There's going to be nothing on the forest floor for them to eat. And once again, you're sitting for 10, 15 years waiting on a change, being able to either timber cut or, you know, something to make that diversity back. So what I'm... Uh, I like to look for if I'm buying an investment property to make a turnaround on in five or six years is would would be a place that has a little bit of everything. So that that's that's if I was just gonna look at a place and Midwest is different because you have what you have in a lot of those places and you can improve them, you know, with timber stand improvement and that kind of thing. But down here it's more timber land. You do have ag country, you know, in the Delta, and there's a little bit of stuff you can do with that, but I like the hill country just because there's more options on what you can do to manipulate the deer. Are you also, Jordan, or do you look at total acreage uh, that you're wanting to buy, or do you look at kind of what's the huntable acreage, I guess you will, and 
then kind of what mix do you look at as far as ag versus, you know, versus timber, if you will? I mean, down here, like in my core area where I deal at the most here, it's mostly timberland. I mean, it's farm ag, so it's mostly just vast forest. When I, that's a good question, though, talking about total acreage versus hunting acreage. So that, that goes right back to the diversity. Same way in the Midwest with cornfields and, and timber and stuff up there. I mean, I would in the Midwest, I would take an 80-acre tract that has 60 acres of timber on it versus a 500-acre tract that has 495 acres of cornfield, right? That's just the way I would think of it. And same way here, you just look, I think it matters more about huntable acreage than it does actual total acreage. Now, if you get both of those, you own something. What do you look at from a neighbor's standpoint? Do you look at that much? Would you rather have if you're mainly timber or you wanting ag next to you or you wanting it neighbors that don't hunt or neighbors that follow quality deer management? Do you look at, what do you look at as far as relation to the, of what the neighbors do or don't do? Or do Man, you care? That's, that's a tough one just because unless you really get to know them, you don't really know, you know? <laughs> it's just I've been introduced to some guys I you know, went to a property showing a couple years ago, and the guy, the realtor that was showing us the property, he was like, yeah, man, neighbors are good. They don't ever hunt. You know, I hadn't, nobody's, ever, nobody's ever seen them out here and during hunt season, you name it. And then uh, we didn't buy the property, but a guy I knew ended up buying it, and he was talking to me about a year later. He was like, yeah, man, the neighbors, they don't hunt, but they're out there every day shooting ARs. So it's just one of those things, you really don't know that, that deal, but it does help. You're talking about like neighbors having ag and that kind of thing. There's a property in Madison that I've been involved with. Uh, it has a lot of ag surrounding it. So it does make the, the quality of the deer better because they have summer forage. And uh, one thing we did out there was we kind of had their winter grounds, right? So we really focused on putting fall food plots in big ones to sustain a lot of deer that way they wouldn't move elsewhere they actually moved to that place come you know november december do you do much jordan or is it obviously you want to try to probably walk the property look at the property obviously beforehand is is there scenarios or opportunities and i guess it's going to depend on the demand of the property how long it's going to lay there would owners allow you to put cell cameras or game cameras on the property if you're a prospective buyer what what are some of some of those things that you kind of do to get some insight to what the property actually is you definitely can you know uh, a lot of times realtors will have cameras up to help promote the properties too you know so you you can get a good idea that's another key thing to look in on a, a pretty good realtor that their bread and butter's recreation track they're going to have they're going to have trail cameras up because they understand that their their clientele that's what they're looking for they want to know what's there what's the potential and uh but yes you can a lot of times that's okay or you know even the owner if they're hunting if they're hunters they're probably they may have cameras up already but you can always ask for that for sure you know one thing i've noticed as far as price on you know per acre has been like some of the wetland programs that some properties have been involved in it usually and I guess because I don't know what the, the term is as far as the length of that uh, to have something in a wetlands program but usually those at least in Missouri or some here in the Midwest have been a lot a lot cheaper do you, would you stay away from something that's in some type of government program or is that a 
a positive for you? Does that even weigh weigh in at all as far as your decision making? It's both, honestly. You just got to figure out what the program is, what it's paying. Has it all, is it a one-time payment? Is it a yearly payment? There's so many different government, you know, crop restoration programs and wetland restoration programs. The WRP tracks, which is the wetlands, they are a one-time payment to the landowner once they enroll it in there. So you're not going to receive any income by having that enrolled. And one negative that you can run into is they limit you on what you can do to the property as far as food plot, adage, acreage, you know, cutting timber. It's, it's a lot of, it just it varies very much on what program has been implemented on that program, on that property. The CRP programs are good because, you know, they're five, 10 year contracts. Some of them are 15. I don't even know if they still have 15 year contracts, but they used to. You know, they pay the landowner and it's transferable, you know, a certain amount of money each year to use that land for the CRP program. So some of those can produce income or at least cover your interest payment for the year. So they can be good. It just depends on which one they are. I mean, I'm not scared of them. You just need to know what you're walking into before you before you get it. And uh, going back to the like some of these ones that are limited on what you can do, Say you buy a place that's on a, a WRP program, you know, it's already had established acreage put in there. That's what they got paid for. You can take that out. You just have to pay back what they put into it. Jordan, that old turnkey term, you know, where if the trail systems, food plots, and of course you've got, you know, if it's got water, it's got bedding, it's got, you know, all the things that you want to have. Do you, do you look at, does it have it or do you look at I can put that in there. Would you rather have it done on the front end or would, does it bother you as long as you can put those, as long as it has the ability for you to put those things there? And it just, it depends on the property. You know, it's just all about what, how it's set up. If some of them may say turnkey, but they ain't turnkey, you know. It's got a good road system, but that's it. That ain't turnkey property. And I don't think there, there's any property out there that's perfect. I mean, you, you, my brother's tried to buy property for years, and I keep telling him, you got to make it what you want it. I mean, there's some places like, like Giles Island. You know, that, that's about a, you know, one of them places that's probably close to perfect, but you're going to pay an arm and a leg for it just because you know, everything it's on it. But, you know, property to me is kind of, you find it, if it's got somewhat what you want, then you improve it to make it the way you want it and add that value. It, it's, yeah. there's nothing. You know, like Jordan saying, it may like it may be turnkey, but it ain't gonna be exactly what you want. Yeah, turnkey varies per person saying it. And, yeah. uh, and uh, there's always I, there's not a property you can go buy right now and never ever do a single other thing to it the rest of your life. There's there's not they don't exist. There's always something you can improve. Yeah, they may be hunt ready, ready to you know get up in a shooting house or go get in a stand, go be able to have a successful hunt. But there's always stuff, especially for people like us that are that are hunters and always wanting to get that extra little advantage, tweak a little thing. I mean, that's not really turnkey if you if you uh, have to tweak a little something, right? So I don't ever uh, look at a place as being like 100% ready because they're not out there. You know, Jordan, how about? additional expenses besides you know you think about that 20 percent down and your what your monthly payment is and 
you know, I remember 16 and buying a truck and I thought, you know, I can, I can afford $200 a month. And my dad's like, well, it's going to be a little more than 200. Like my payment's 200. Well, you got insurance, you got sales tax. So what, what are the additional expenses are there uh, that you would have with, with buying a property? Oh, there'd be a closing cost. Just tr getting you to the actual, you know, having the keys to the place. There, the one thing a lot of people that are new to buying land, well, they don't think about is closing cost and title work, and you know all the different fees that the banks are going to get, and the title company's going to get, and the lawyers are going to get. Like that, uh, it adds up to be quite expensive depending on how big the purchase is and how much time they have to put into it to get it ready to close. Uh, that's that's one thing that's probably most overlooked. Uh, but the price and the fees on that vary. So it could be a thousand dollars, it could be ten thousand dollars, or it could be fifty thousand dollars for closing. It just depends on the property and how much time and how much it's worth. And I mean, they're trust me, they're gonna get what they're gonna get the fees out of it. So be looking for that ahead of time too. Now, is that something that you can have the the seller do, or is that on the buyer? That's negotiable. That's usually, sometimes it's a 50-50 split. Now in today's market, where recreation tracks are harder to find, usually on the buyer side, they're taking the brunt of the closing cost. Uh, did one a few weeks ago, you know, the, the seller went up to $1,000 on the closing cost and the buyer covered the rest of it. So that's just negotiable on the sale. Yeah, how much do you see, or is there a percentage on it? Is there a case by case on, how much uh, <laughs> you hear the weed eating go? Okay. <laughs> How much uh, negotiating room do you have just on price per acre? Is is there much leeway in that? It really just depends on the on the property and the seller. How much how bad they want to get rid of it? You know how how much they have in it? You know it just depends. It varies place to place. I have one right now that's on the Mississippi River, you know, and it's it's not a whole lot of wiggle room on it. So it's not a not a lot of negotiating that's happening with that place. Now we had another one that actually um, won't close on next week. It had some, so there was a good bit of negotiating back and forth on it. So it just depends on the property. How about easements? Do you stay away from easements? Uh, I, I guess if you have no road frontage at yes. all, you're going to have to have some type of easement. If they are not deeded, I run far, far away. If they are deeded easements, they're okay. You know what's some what's some other things, Jordan, that you would you would avoid, or what would be some red flags for you when you're looking at property that you're going to stay the heck away from? Uh, four weather trails, ATV trails coming off the county roads. <laughs> That's is asking for problems. Yeah, I'm dealing with that right now, and our lovely game wardens are worthless. <laughs> uh, that's one thing if you see trails coming off the county roads going into this property you're looking at or see trails when you're walking and looking at the property and you see trails crossing the property lines them trails once they're established they are hard to close down they are you know we've had you know my job here before I retired in school business we had got a property that kind of a way that, and, that, and there's a school on the property uh, and we've had problems there with four wheelers. I was there 13 years and did nothing to stop it. It's not any less than it was when I started 13 years ago, and it's been a point of emphasis, <laughs> you know, for us. And from calling the law, you know, to just talking, trying to be reasonable with people, to putting up, you know, concrete ballards, concrete blocks, 
where you think, okay, there's no possible way in here. They find a way. It almost becomes kind of a competition, especially once they know legally you can't do a lot. Or even if you can, nothing's going to happen. They just keep pushing it to show you that they can do it. What are you doing in your situation, Dustin? Are you getting are you getting physical or what? Are you doing a little Livy Newton John getting physical? One time I walked up to the guy and pulled the keys out of his hand and walked off. I said, I'll be back with the sheriff. And him and he was actually screwing around on his wife and had his girlfriend down there in the woods. And he dang there had a heart attack. And I said, both of you can be prosecuted because I don't care. I've had enough. And, and then the last group of guys I caught called the game warden and he just fizzled out on me. Wouldn't, wouldn't finish the job. I don't know if he was from the county, but. Well, you know, what I've been told lately about the game wardens, they're hiring, aren't hunters, don't understand how to catch people. I mean, it's just a good game warden that likes catching people and wants to do his job. Uh, those guys are getting harder to find. And, and uh, I think now you just, you're getting a lot of younger kids that are happy to go WMMA or WMA and write tickets to, you know, the weekend warriors. And other than that, they're good to go. It's not a good paying job, and um, I, you know, it's if I catch the kids I caught last time again, it's gonna be bad. They're gonna be tied up, hog tied in the creek, <laughs> and I'm gonna call a game warden on them. He's gonna come get them, or the cops, one or the other. Has it been pretty constant? Pretty constant with them? I've caught them twice in the last six months. How, how they react? Kind of, Defiantly? They laugh. We're yeah. gonna go where we want to go. You know, you know, my dogs can't read. Yeah. You know, we do what we want. I said, all right. Yeah, they don't know who they're playing with. <laughs> Jordan, just like there's some, some red flags and uh, trespassers and four-wheelers being one of them that you would avoid, are there some whatever color flag it would be that you're like, this is the property? I, are there a few key things when you look? You know, I know like athletic talent. I've had, you know, college coaches when I was coaching come, and I'm like, you want me to put kids through some drills you can see them and, and just – them standing and shooting or shooting their left, they're like, nope, I'll give them a full ride. They, they know when they see it. What are the things that you see and you just know this is the one? Man, the obvious one, is, you were talking about deer hunting properties, the obvious one would be just deer sign everywhere. I like to, uh, if I'm going to look at a place, I'd like to go look at them in the late afternoon. It's just That's putting pressure on the place, but if you're trying to buy it, you want to go when the most game activity is going on, right? One thing you can do is ride around these pro properties when you're going to look at it late in the afternoon and see what you see, you know, and see far as deer sign. I don't, I don't like going right after it rained just because it washes all what's there gone, right? One thing you can do is go like three or four or five days after it rains, and then you get a really good estimate on how how much game's on the place. That'd be probably the, if there's deer sign everywhere, you know, tore up. Uh, looking at properties too, it's really good to go look at them, you know, in February, early March. That way you kind of see, well, man, this place was tore up last November or last December, whenever the rut is. You can get a good estimate. Okay, 200 rugs on a hill up there. There's, there's a good many deer here. You know, and really like scouting, to me, my favorite time of scouting is that February, March, you know, when everything's dead. You know the no the undergrowth leaves and you know all that stuff is is dead from the winter for depends on depending on where you live, but it's just so easy to and see the sign. You know, so I'd say you know, buying the same way. 
if it's a recreation track that's been hunted, you know, and advertised as managed for years, they're going to have pictures of stuff they killed there. And that, I mean, you can, you can go off of trail camera pictures and, you know, it's like, even if say like a place that we moved in a couple of years ago with, uh, when I was at Primo's, they had a lot of really big deer on camera there previously and killed some nice deer there over the years. But one thing that we found out when we moved up there, we didn't figure it out till about three way, three quarters away through deer season. But when they figured out they were selling that property, they started shooting a lot of deer and started shooting whatever they wanted to, because whatever. Which that's a bad thing, and, a, and it's not a bad thing at the same time because you still know the the potential was there. It may just take you two or three years to recoup what the damage they did before they sold it. But that's a really good uh, a way of figuring out if this property's going to be pretty good is based on past history. Jordan, is there, you know, really, I've asked kind of things I, that I wanted to know that I think a you know, first-time buyer would need to know. Is there something that that I didn't ask from the fact that I don't know since I haven't done it? Is there something I hadn't, uh, hadn't asked or Dustin, anything that uh, you can think of we hadn't covered? <laughs> I'd say one thing too, and we hit around a little bit, but when you're looking at a piece of property, go down to your FSA office and check out because there could be some programs to generate. You know, you might have to get that down payment or give you a yearly payment. Just for example, one of the farms I own, first five years I owned it, there was a cotton payment on the place. It paid my whole land payment for five years. But, you know, it's gone now, but, you know, there's, certain programs, certain times of, uh, of years that those programs are out there and can generate a lot of money. Uh, so it's well worth going down there and, and checking. You know, and, now, and, and really too, I guess, from a standpoint, it wouldn't help you on the front end, but after the fact, maybe on payments, you know, doing some select cutting. I, I don't know that any of us deer hunters want to do clear cutting necessarily, but some select cutting could, could bring in quite a bit of income too to help out down the road. Is You got any thoughts on that, Jordan? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another thing down here in the South. That's what I've learned from the guy that's teaching me a lot about land. He's been doing it for 30-something years and bought and sold over 100,000 acres of dirt. One thing, we went and looked at a place back last February, and it was a really nice-looking place, kind of what exactly what we were looking for. And, you know, it had been established for a while, but it wasn't like had been really developed. And uh, one thing we... we he told me that the reason he wasn't going to buy it was it was too far from the mill. It'd be hard, even though it's got good timber on it, the timber's worth a good amount of money, but it would be hard to get loads in and out of this place. And I was like, okay, I've never thought about that before because I look at big timber, you think about money. You look at big, tall, straight oak trees, you're like, that's going to be worth money. But there's another equation to put in there, and that's where they're going to take it to to process the timber. Because if they got to haul it, 200 miles by the time they get there they ain't making no money especially with fuel prices anything else jim and you can think of that we did not cover yeah one one thing on that timber it happened to the landowner i leased some ground from they did a three-year contract where they had three years to get it cut it was so wet they never got in there so he just got a fat check three years later they when that time was up they called him and said hey well we want to try to get in there he said nope contracts up money's yeah. in his pocket so that's something that yeah it doesn't happen very often but 
It can. And down here, there's a lot of properties that uh, a timber company will buy, and then they'll sell the dirt with the uh, rights to cut the timber within five years. And uh, that's that's something that you you need to check into that pretty heavy before you decide to buy that dirt because some of them there's a few down in South Mississippi right now of places I know for sale that uh the timber company still has timber rights on it but the stipulation is they're taking out everything over 25 inches in diameter well that's a good good deal there because they're taking out mature trees but they're still leaving good size trees right so they're not just absolutely nuking the place like a bomb went off so be conscious of that too I live, of course, Missouri and right on the Mississippi River, so I'm looking Illinois uh, is where I'm really looking to go and possibly something in Missouri as well. But where where would you guys go as far as best bang for your buck and price-wise and best deer hunting? What what would be your area that you'd be looking at right now for a good deal or for some good hunting? The best bang for your dollar for the recreation track right now probably be Kansas, but it's going away very fast. What's making that be the case? Landowners get a guaranteed tag if they own, I think it's 80 acres or more okay. out there. So it's a limited draw state, right? But if you're a landowner, you get a tag. On the other note, there's really big deer out there. You're able to feed deer legally, so makes it easier to keep them around, have an inventory. Uh, also, they grow really, really big deer, mm-hmm. and the recreation prices are not crazy through the roof. You can still find a really good recreation place out there for $2,500 an acre or $2,200 an acre or even less, depending on where part of the state is in. You know, and that is probably something else to look at because, you know, I, in Illinois, I believe it's 40 acres to get a landowner tag, or it was a few years ago. I don't know if that's, that's changed, but that's probably another aspect if a person's buying it out of their home state and you know, want to offset some, some costs. They need to make sure they hit that mark, whatever that mark may be. That's like Iowa. That's the reason uh, you don't hear about a lot of people buying and selling land up there because they can't get a tag by owning land. Like, yeah. So it, it's very, very limited up there. I thought about buying a place up there, you know, hunting it for three or four years and then selling it. And I was like, well, if I buy it, I'm going to have to make a land note on this thing for five years before I'm ever able to hunt it. Unless you become a resident. Yeah. And they're so strict on that up there. It's, oh, you might as well run through the, go through the vetting process of running for president by the time you <laughs> apply for a residency in Iowa. <laughs> hey, Jordan, one last thing. Would you go together with friends, family to get more acreage, more a down payment, or and I guess that's case by case, but sometimes doing things with family and friends can probably cause you more conflicts. But anytime you're dealing with other people, communication is going to, have to be paramount and something like that, wouldn't you think? Make sure y'all are on the same page, not a similar page, the same page. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only words on that. As uh, so I've got a buddy of mine, we've been talking about partnering up a couple of years on a place if we ever find it. Me and him both want the same thing. We just want to develop a place, make some extra revenue, and hunt it, enjoy it for a certain couple of years. But we have no ties to this property because I could see that going into a downhill spiral very fast if one person creates some kind of emotional attachment to it and the other yeah. ones just bought it for a real investment. 
Yeah, it can ruin, of course, ruin the property, ruin your hunting experience, and you can ruin a friendship or family ship at the same time. Well, Jordan, hey, thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it greatly. Always good to see you. And Shed, same with you. Any last words from anybody? This your yard mode. <laughs> hey, we had we we you know we had a few. Uh, this is not, this is recording. This is not recording mishaps. We had some weed eating, some mowing going on. But again, from a positive standpoint, my grass is is completely manicured right now. Guys, hey, enjoy your day. Getting close to hunting season, so it's getting that time of year. Hopefully, we'll be swapping some some pictures back and forth or telling some stories one here in the coming months. So, thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk to you, each of you soon. See you. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guest, Mr. Jordan Blissett, on his discussion of buying a hunting property. My great-great-grandpa bought a farm in Ripley County, Missouri in the 1870s. It was in our family for over 100 years through the early 1980s. My great-grandpa, my grandpa, and my dad were all born there. This Holland Farm is located near Foshi Creek. I hate to see that property leave our family, and it's been a dream of mine to buy my own farm and pass it on down to my children and grandchildren and so forth just like my great-great-grandpa did for all those who came before me. My son Kobe and I are beginning to look for one as we speak, and hopefully we'll have years to share it with my dad, who at 79 years of age is still hunting as much as he possibly can, and also with the future of our family, which is Kobe's son and my grandson, Hutch Holland, who recently just turned one year old. In this podcast episode, we had some interesting adventures from where we're recording or where we're not recording, to my vicious guard dog, Bella, barking at the weed eating, the mowing, and the leaf blowing that was going on outside, as well as the sounds of the equipment itself. But despite the moments of chaos and activity, Jordan gave a lot of valuable information for buying a hunting property. I value Jordan's opinion greatly and appreciate him spending time and sharing his knowledge with Shed and I. Lastly, please assist us by liking and rating today's episode and also by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We're not a sponsored podcast, so the only way that we can reach a larger audience is by word of mouth, and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.